Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Uh, Today, we have a New York City realtor. David Rosen was one of the first realtors that gave us the opportunity to do auctions in Manhattan. And certainly, David is a trailblazer in his own right from a marketing perspective and what he does in the Manhattan marketplace. But I have the utmost respect for the people that operate in the New York City marketplace. Some of the things that we've had to learn about real estate and the different ways that it operates in comparison to anywhere else in the world that we know how real estate operates is vastly different. And the people that can navigate that are certainly special people from a perspective of managing so many things at once, from sales that are in excess of 20, 30, $40 million that happen every single day in that marketplace, all the way down to the co-ops and the different way the business is done through attorneys. There's a lot of things to navigate. And David shares with us his obvious love of New York and the different things that are there, um, but also the different aspects of the real estate industry that he has had to overcome and that he's had to do as well. Uh, But also David is somebody that has his own accolades, being recognized over the last number of years as the top five teams within the Tribeca Douglas Element office, over a billion dollars worth of transactions that have been done in his real estate journey as well. Uh, Top top 25 teams within Douglas Elliman nationally as well, is that David is certainly somebody that not only has a pure love for New York and Manhattan and the areas around it, but also is a true professional when it comes to the real estate industry. We talk about the luxury market and all different types of things. It's an absolutely great episode. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to Rethink Real Estate, David. It's a pleasure to have you here. Ben, thanks for having me. I, I, I love being here. That's great. Well, folks, for those uh, that uh, obviously I've already done a bit of an intro here, David, you were the first one to do an auction for us in Manhattan. And then Calistra and I were lucky enough to buy a property uh, in Manhattan uh, from yourself and your team. And, uh, and it was a really pleasant experience that we, uh, that we went through. But uh, the reason that you're here is that you're the first quote unquote New Yorker that we've had on the podcast. And the fascination with the New York real estate marketplace more so Manhattan, obviously, and probably a few surrounding areas like Brooklyn's and Queens and things along those lines is fierce amongst the Rethink Real Estate community. So I thought, why not bring on the expert himself, um, a gentleman with lots of charisma, um, and, uh, and to answer it. So first question for you, David, is that why New York? Did you grow up there? Did like How did it all start and why real estate? You know, uh Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. And uh, I grew up here in New York City. Uh, my wife likes to remind me that I was not born here. <clears throat> I was born in Chicago, but <clears throat> I actually moved to Brooklyn, New York, where I live with my wife and child now. And I happened to move to a block called Berkeley Place in Brooklyn, Park Slope. And my wife lived on the same block. And we met when we were three years old. And uh, we went to preschool together. And then we, uh, then I moved off that block. And uh, my father happened to be a real estate developer. So that's that's why New York. That's why real estate. But uh, I would meet my wife again, um, you know, 35 years later or so on on a dating app. And after I was uh, sort of at uh, her at her dining room table, we'd been dating for a month. She looks up at me and she says, you kicked me. And I said, what? 
I didn't kick you. And she said, no, you did. And she runs to her room and comes back with a photo album and takes out pictures of us when we were little kids. So now I we have a little kid together. But um, for me, New York City is about raising your family. It's a great place to do business. And I wouldn't want to. I am a New Yorker. That means that I eat lots of different food. I know different types of people. And, you know, I have a smaller home than some people, but it's a nice home. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for certain things like great food and you know, amazing culture. And that's what I live for. Great food, great culture certainly sums up that city. But then real estate is the other pillar of that that certainly comes to mind. New York, um, and most of the people that know me that listen, uh, they know that New York is unequivocally my favorite city in the world. Um, uh, and hence the reason that Clister and I try and get out there as much as we possibly can. Hence the affection of us doing some auctions over there, even though that we haven't made the strongest push for our auction business in Manhattan. But the reality is, is that it was just a sort of a passion project for us. But I, I guess that that said is that it is like drinking from a fire hose, the New York culture. And I guess, David, when you first decided real estate, how did you go about it? So the way I got into the real estate business in New York City wasn't linear. Um, I graduated college. I went to art school. And when I got out of art school, I was a waiter in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, before I was a waiter, I worked for Whole Foods in Chelsea, not that far from where you guys own your place. Um, when I was in Whole Foods in Chelsea, I mean, this might sound silly. I literally worked at a supermarket, but it was crazy. At that time, it was a big deal, that Whole Foods. I mean, you know, it was weird. And it was the first one in Manhattan. And I was and then I got promoted to do delivery. And I would see all these cool people's homes. And there were a lot of celebrities. Like, I remember people from Law & Order came in. And, you know, I'd go to these fancy homes, artists, all that. So that was like my first introduction to like running around Manhattan, seeing people's homes. And so soon after that, I, I became a waiter. I was making good money there. But I went to a, a, a seminar on how to flip houses with no money down. And the guy who gave the seminar was my cousin. And he said, you should move to Phoenix and work for me. And I had never been to Phoenix. So I said, yes. Uh, and so I moved to Phoenix. And then I lived there for many years. And then eventually, I wanted to move back and be closer to my family and, you know, uh, change my life around um, after the financial crash. I, I, I'd uh, sort of gotten out of, you know, the worst of it, but, you know, I was just on my feet and I wanted to start something new. And so I uh, went to a, a, you know, real estate agent uh, convention, a Tom Ferry seminar, just 2011. It wasn't a robust time in the market. It was Palm Springs. And uh, I went up to the stage. It wasn't, you know, I said, Tom, I'm David. I was a coaching client uh, before. I'm going to sign up again. Can you introduce me to someone in New York? He said, talk to this agent. I went, talked to that agent. I had one lead. I converted him. He hired me, um, and uh, and that was that was it. I worked for that guy for four or five years. Did many many deals. You know, he was my rabbi, as they say. You know, yeah. he, he brought me up. He's still the number one real estate agent in my company. His name is Josh Rubin, um, and uh, he was a great teacher. Then eventually, I decided that you know, like all children, I should tell my parents I hate them and run away. And so <laughs> I did that. And, uh, you know, I've been here, uh, we've done 42 deals already in the year 2023 um, in my own office here at uh, the Tribeca office of Douglas Elliman. And, uh, you know, things are good. 
So as you speak about the different areas and and things along those lines, is that did you instinctively know a little bit more? Um, I know that you do um, real estate all over New York, not just Manhattan itself, obviously, but realistically- Brooklyn and Manhattan. Only yeah. Brooklyn and Manhattan. Those okay. are the two markets. Those are the most expensive markets. Yeah. So ultimately, that's where you want to be. But if for those yeah. that are listening, that they're not overly familiar with New York and they're, you know, they, they've obviously had a dream to go there or they, they just don't know the real estate market. Could you give a little bit of an understanding of- of, of what the New York real estate landscape looks like. So if you, so there's five boroughs in Manhattan and each one, if you're a real estate professional, you'll, you'll get what I'm saying. Each one has their own MLS, except for Manhattan and Brooklyn have the same sort of weird MLS. That's all of Manhattan and half of Brooklyn. That's the one I'm on. So the other half of Brooklyn is part of something um, called uh, the Brooklyn MLS. Queens is part of something else. Bronx is part of something else. And Staten Island is part of something else. They're all different. And real estate in Staten Island, real estate in the Bronx is not that different from New Jersey or Florida or California, except it's like, imagine you were painting. So you have like some of the that color and then you mix in some of the New York color. So, <laughs> you know, the New York color, what do I mean by that? Um, you're talking about the highest price per foot in this side of the planet, you know, other than Hong Kong or Singapore. Uh and the reason why people are paying so much money for these properties is um, two reasons. One is that this is the center of the business world. When I go downtown, not far from here, you know, all those apps on your phone, Spotify, ESPN, Netflix, Amazon, all of them have C-level executives working within a mile of here. And they're all consuming the highest levels of culture, the highest levels of fashion. And, uh, you know, and doing big business, the, the, the deals that we don't even know about, the technology that we haven't thought about yet, the, the deals behind the deals, all of that's happening behind closed doors, some of it here and traditionally all of it here. Um, the city's gone through ups and downs, but with tech, we actually seen a huge renaissance here in New York. And I was just walking from one of my listings in the East Village. I mean, the streets are booming. Um, and so you know, New York real estate is done differently. What do we mean by that? Basically, it's done in an old school way. Should it be done that way? You've gone through it. I don't know. If it was up to me, it wouldn't be that way. If it was up to me, we'd be using more technology. But the reasons, maybe that's too complicated. Maybe I don't know them all well enough. But but what hap- what I mean by that is you got to have a lawyer here. Yeah. And like, you know, you've sold so many homes. I mean, you guys help people sell tens of thousands of homes, I'm sure, over the years. And, yeah. you know, how many lawyers do you need, really? Not That's that, it. Not tens of thousands. The, the interesting experience that we went through, because we went through a personal experience, obviously, which really gave us a very deep, much deeper insight to the New York marketplace, the Manhattan marketplace anyway, um, in the sense of the co-op. Um, side of it. We bought in a co-op building. Um, and for those listening, because we both have international listeners, we have people in North America. So co-op is very different to then like a body corporate or an HOA. It's kind of similar if you're looking at those different things, but it's really a little bit more control factor and there's an interview process and there's a certain way that you can purchase. There's certain rules about the properties, all of those things. David, I think that the one thing that I I, I certainly understand in the, in the New York marketplace, not as deeply as what you do, and I'd love your take on it, is that you grew up in the world of complexity, essentially, that everything else outside of, you know, New York or Manhattan probably looks simpler. Is, is that the way that you see it? 
I don't know if you ever watched the show, the show Succession, which obviously has a lot of great shots here in New York. But you know, and I, I hope this doesn't ruin the freshness of this pot, this uh, podcast. So I just watched episode two of the final season last night. And for those of you who know the show, you know the the families involved in this big deal, and all the terms are agreed to. And then there's a phone call, and they're like, <laughs> "Why don't we renegotiate?" And then the, the, the one group is like, we're not going to renegotiate. And the father's like, you can't renegotiate. You're going to be stupid. And then the, the other hustlers, they're like, you should renegotiate. You're leaving a lot of money on the table. And it's like that. It's like everyone's chirping in someone's ear till the end. Nothing is set in stone. It's like it's like walking on quicksand. And so to, to be that person, I guess that New York mentality, that attitude, you have to sort of run with a, you know, a V18 engine, you know, you got to get it done. And in order to do that, you have to be smart, you have to be a team player, you have to be goal oriented. But you not you need to you I mean, it's just, uh, there's a lot of people involved. If you just if you just go along to get along, it's kind of hard to get where you're going, you yeah. have to have a direction. And I think that so the juggling of all of those different things that you guys deal with from your transaction perspective is that, you know, the other portion of this as well, that I think that um, just to give people a little more context to how you operate, David, is that not only then do you have the complexity of whether it's a condo, whether it's a co-op, a different building, different rules, different interview processes, different financing, all of these different things. Um, but then also to add on top of that, you go from West Village to Tribeca, and it's like going <laughs> it's like going to another another country you know like you go to the upper east side versus you know chelsea it's again it's so vastly different so therefore you deal with the complexities of the different styles the different types of properties let me on give top you an that. example this would be totally off limits to say in another context but we're doing a deal in the east village it's a co-op both of the buyers went to my alma mater RISD. the one of them makes less than $100,000 a year as a like uh, freelance artist and the other one is an actual artist. Um, you know, uh, one, one is a, they make combined less than a hundred thousand dollars a year, all of the money's in cash and it's coming from an out of state, I'm sorry, a foreign country where their parent who's from South America is giving them the money on the upper East side. We have had deals where people, their, their net worth in the East village is about $2 million. Uh, and most of it is the cash gift for this purchase. They would not be accepted in an Upper East Side co-op where you can only put down, in some cases, 33% down payment, some cases, 50% down payment, and they need you to have 2 to $3 million in cash left over when it's done. And not only do you need to have the 2 to $3 million in cash, they also have to like you. What does that mean? I don't know. That is not necessarily easy to define. But we try to do it. I mean, you have to have six letters of recommendation for each person, the husband and the wife or the husband and the husband, the wife and the wife. The kids and dogs don't need recommendations yet, but who knows? Who knows? And uh, it was funny in the process. In the process, I remember speaking to Star about this, and she was like, "Well, you need to get letters of recommendation." And I'm like, "From how many people?" And she's like, "She's like six. I'm like, "I don't even have that many friends." Yeah. <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> that's right so but i but the the other part that then if, if if that's not complicated enough from the difference of the areas the different styles of properties the different the different then processes and co-ops and all and all of these interviews then you sprinkle on top of that it is the most multicultural city that i've ever been in it's just a melting it, pot 
It really is. I mean, London is like it on some level, sure. Um, but I went to public school here and my father was always proud of telling his friends that our take homes from the PTA came in 32 languages. And I remember them distinctly. I mean, I can't even think of what the 32 languages were. Yeah. But yes, I mean, every Asian culture has representation here and has for hundreds of years. You know, I don't know if you know this about me. My sister is actually half Japanese. Oh, and wow. Her parents, my half sister and her parents didn't just move to New York. They, they came, they, they emigrated from Japan to San Francisco and then they lived in Kansas City and then they moved to New York. My my grandparents came from, you know, Europe. They were Eastern European Jews um, on both sides. And my wife's family is, uh, you know, menage Europe. One of them was an Irish king. Uh, so there you go, son. Your yeah, royalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, I think that I think that the other part of this that that is very intriguing to us is the the different the the, the difference in the marketplace over the last number of years for New York. Um, can you take us through what was it like in COVID and what has COVID done to the marketplace and where is the marketplace going, David? A general overview of what's happening. I have personally purchased um, two properties since COVID started and sold one of them. Uh, actually, sold two. Uh, so in New York, now I've been part of about 200 transactions for clients since COVID. Um each of those years, I've been ranked amongst the top 25 teams by every metric at Douglas Elliman um, and in uh, Real Trends. And so I have a real good finger on the pulse of everything that's happening. And uh, things have things are performing and behaving pretty well. We, we got to have some optimism here. And, 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 and it wasn't as good as it was in our friends in California or our friends in Florida. No, it wasn't. But it wasn't that bad. And so what we saw was when COVID hit, boom, immediate uh, time to buy. For those of us who were prepared, world went on sale. I went and bought a place that was asking originally one one. I bought it for nine hundred. That was the market. Every you know, there were deals to be had. And for that six months from June of twenty twenty to December or whatever, January of twenty twenty one, it was a good time to buy. Up until the election, up until throughout there was a lot of chaos. You know, that's when people who do this like we do it, you know, say, hey, I'll buy some real estate. You know, it's crazy. Let's buy something. <laughs> and so I did. And you did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, so we did that. And um, the market really rebounded in 2021. There were more sales everywhere in the country and here in New York. I think there was uh, in the range of almost 40,000 sales. It was a, it was a record. Um, and that was in every price range. Luxury market was on fire. Um, and so coming out of 2021, uh, in 2022, we had a very good year. There was a nationally about 6.2 million uh, units sold. That was down by about uh, 800,000. But uh, here in New York, there were still about 30,000 sales. So it's a very strong market and prices stayed stable. Um, then as interest rates rose through the year, uh, the, the market um, had some, some challenges. And uh, we did see some months where things really sort of quieted down. But you know, you have to look at the data. So like if we're having a slow week as a team, you can have the, the compulsion to feel like, wow, the world's not doing as well. Well, but that's not true. I mean, each of these weeks this month, we've seen more and more contracts signed in Manhattan and Brooklyn, more and more contracts signed in the luxury market. Um, and it's all property types. So I think what people are looking for and what's really changed is there's more new stuff. The people want the new stuff and the old stuff is not is not appreciating. Mm. If it's old, it's actually depreciating. 
because the cost of repairing it is going up, which means the cost of acquiring it is going down. And that's a problem for yeah. those people. Yeah. On the on the high end, I mean, there's a huge demand. The question is the is the numbers. I mean, some people you bought a Lamborghini, you paid top dollar. You might not be able to spend, sell your Lamborghini for more than you paid for it. There's still a demand. You know, it's a question of where it is. And so with these developer sales, it's really a fake market. They they cook the books. There's concessions baked in. You don't really know what the prices are. But on the resale market, we are seeing the luxury market is stable and you know, on a price per foot basis, you know, prices between $1,000 a foot and $2,700 a foot are a range of prices that we see here in New York. And it's it's consistent. Well, so that leads to a few questions, um, just from curiosity perspective, um, is that Seven hundred twenty-five. Yeah, well, great. That's it. Um, I know exactly what you're referring to as well. But uh, I guess that I guess that the thing that I really trying to get an understanding of the marketplace before we bought a property there, I I couldn't I, like I'd like to think that I know what I'm doing. I'd like to think that you know. And again, some of the decisions that I've made from a real estate perspective haven't been ideal. But that's just the nature of what real estate is. And you get to you know your, your bad decisions in real estate. You can just hold and time will cure that. Now, that said, is that I tried to get a feel, I tried to get a finger on the pulse when it came to the New York marketplace. One, when we were starting auctions there, but two, obviously when buying a property, I can't, I just don't understand the pricing metrics of what Manhattan is, David. Can you take us through how difficult it is to price something? Yeah. So here's the biggest challenge. And there's actually a group called NIRAC, the New York Real Estate Continuum, which is led by people like Leonard Steinberg, who's one of the founders of Compass um, and, and many other top agents. They have about three to 400 people now. Rebney, by comparison, has about 10,000 to 15,000 people. So it's not the, the leading trade organization, but they are leading the push to publish square footage. It's just so stupid. The properties that we sell, these co-ops, there's literally a law that says you're not allowed to publicly tell people the square footage so that they could, you know, justify selling small properties, basically, you know, and nobody is it, wants to know. Is it that or that they're just, they like, because again, we couldn't get, like, when we did ours, there was no exact square footages or anything along those lines. I don't know. The, the, the reason is... Uh, it's a lack of transparency. And as the, the, the industry gets more and more regulated, it's hopeful that there, there, there would be better um, transparency in that way. It's more yeah. wild, wild west. Um, I, I simply think that uh, that it's a matter of trying to keep the prices high. Um, you know, yeah. on every price point, you know, people are just shocked, perhaps that, you know, this is what the price per foot is. Um, but so I think that the way that you understand these things is you can, there's two different ways. One is you can relate it to what it costs to rent a place. And the other is you can look at what you hope the appreciation to be. So as for, you know, why things are priced in a certain way, you basically can't get in Manhattan in certain neighborhoods. Like you can't get a two bedroom for less than $2 million. But if you leave those areas, then maybe you can get a two bedroom for like somewhere like one, five to two. And then like slightly outside of there, it's like one to one, five. And then like, that's kind of the best you're going to get. And then for like a one bedroom or a studio, like the cheapest studio is like, you know, Northern, Northern Manhattan is like maybe 250,000. But then like for most of Manhattan, it's going to be like the cheapest one uptown is going to be like 350 to 400. And then downtown, it's going to be like 
400 to 500 and then further downtown it's going to be like 500 to 600 and that's just kind of like a heat map of like what things trade for in those areas because of how cool they are yeah. it's literally about how cool it is like you know like what what clubs bars restaurants can i go to where's my job where's my friends that type of thing if and you're have- single you know you, what your priorities might be in that type of thing, you know, your social life. If you're if you're not single and you have family, that's a huge part of the real estate market. In fact, that's the more important part. I hate to say, I mean, it's true. It's the more expensive part. Multi generational housing, as opposed to second home housing, is the backbone of the real estate market. Then the, the second home market is sort of leveraged off of that. So I think that you couldn't do better than having a three bedroom you know, property around Central Park on the west side or east side once upon a time, you know. Now, where are we now in that cycle? It's stable. It's not appreciating sharply. Um, You know, people have made huge notable transactions in and around these areas recently, including the richest man in the world's son, uh, our, what's his name? Louis Vuitton Air. um, Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I know. Yep. His son just bought a place here in Tribeca for nineteen million dollars. The person he I bought think, it from, I think, I, yeah, uh, I, th- I think Bill Gates' daughter just bought another one in Tribeca for like Tribeca. fifty million dollars. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, fifty, fifty, fifty million dollars. Yeah. The founders of uh, Slack bought another fifty spot nearby here. Um, so, David, I get a, I get a fifty million dollar buyers. <laughs> I get a, I get a, I get a report. I get a report every day from the real deal. I subscribe to the real deal, and I get a report every day called the Dirt, and it tells you the highest transaction from a residential perspective in Manhattan that day. And I've, I don't think I've ever seen it lower than fifteen million dollars every day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Every single day, like it's just amazing. So that's a huge. So money matters, right? And so that creates a huge economy. Like these, these real estate companies are more than just brokers. It's, I think that you know, brokerage commissions make up one in $15 of GDP that's created from real estate you know, sales. You know? And so, uh, yeah, it's the stagers, it's the movers, it's the you know, handyman, it's the, it's the lawyers, it's the mortgage, it's all the things, right? So, um, and it's the specialists. Um, and so uh, th- th- that, is, that is really important, not just because it, it brings you know, money into the economy, but it shows us that these you know, leaders of our, of our country are living here. Yeah. And if they're living here, then they're sending their kids here. And then they're you know, eating at these restaurants and going to these plays. And then we'll you know, and, demand a whole economy based upon that. And is that, is that sort of the core part of it? Is that the fact that you know the economy is being based off such, you know, idolization that then that fuels the pricing side of it? Because pricing seems to be obviously it depends on what area you said how cool it is. Ultimately, you've seen a great migration, I think, and you're going to tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. Down to the lower Manhattan districts, with you know, with a lot more people living down in lower Manhattan. It's funny when you speak to more people outside of it. People ask me all the time, "Well, where's your property?" You say lower Manhattan. They're like, "Well, where's that?" Like they don't know it as well if you're not a local it's more like the where the locals live is that is that kind of the perception well i think the west village is actually the coolest neighborhood in the city i mean so i i think that if you just say west village people people it depends on who they are but um the sex in the city house is like one of the most frequently uh visited um you know tourist attractions and uh i mean well it's just a wonderful place uh yeah i you, you know Downtown has been cool for, you know, for a while. Um, 
and it's usually that like single people were downtown, families were uptown. It's more of a, you know, but nowadays there are great schools in Tribeca was the first neighborhood that really catered. And when I say catered, I meant that they had larger apartments, like where you live, where you own in that neighborhood, there's just not that many large apartments. Mm. And that's why the prices went up so high because, you know, people are willing to pay anything for a place where you could at least have a second bedroom, you know, and the sky was the limit. Um, so I guess the price is really tacked to what the most highest earners are making in the, in the, in the economy. Yep. If those tech people, if those are wall street people, if those are movie people, entertainment people, fashion people, what they're willing to spend. Yeah. And usually, and usually those people aren't actually buyers. Usually they're renters. And so then they make the rental market a certain rate. And then you can say, well, if the rental is X and the interest rate is this and the common charges are this, then it would make sense economically for someone to say, spend this much money on carry. And usually the, that those numbers are the same. So if it's the same to rent and buy, that's usually what the sales price is. That's kind of how it goes up and down. The 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 thing that I've I've grown to to learn in the marketplaces that we get to go to is the different industries that fuel that marketplace. So, for example, when we're in the Bay Area, we're talking to very much tech and venture capital. Um, when we're in you know Southern California, it seems to be a great deal of real estate related stuff that obviously fuels this economy. Definitely, there's no question. And then also, if you're in LA, it's the movie industry. Um, you go then to Hawaii and that. That's fueled really by an international purchases market out of Japan. You go to British Columbia and that's fueled by a great deal of international interest getting their money into that marketplace because it's easier to get in because it's in Canada versus the US. You go to the you go to to New York. And whilst I will say that there's a great deal more financial people that I've ever met, um, like Wall Street people, I don't think that I could put my finger on any one industry that is the major portion of that industry within Manhattan. Is that a fair assessment or am I wrong? It's a really good observation. And one of those, um, and that's really uh, one of the reasons why this market has strength. Um, you know, li having lived in Arizona when it peaked and also when it cratered, I don't think Arizona is a bad place to invest. I really don't. I would do it again. Um, and I loved it there. Uh, but you know, they have a diverse economy in Phoenix. They have five or six good industries, but we have all the industries. Um, you know, the New York City market has been uh, a nexus of international trade from the time it was New Amsterdam in the 1600s. My grandfather owned a textile factory here in Manhattan. Um, there's the diamond district. There's a textile district. There's a tech industry. There is a Broadway industry. There's a TV industry. The Daily Show is shot here. Fox News is shot here. Um, you know, uh, the banking industry. Um, so all of the industries, uh, Spotify has their corporate offices here, architecture. Um, and, and I think the education industry is an underrated one, meaning both uh, universities. And, that, and why that's important is because my stepmother, who was a professor at NYU for many years, had always had a huge amount of international students. And you got to understand that, this, that these that these are bringing a lot of money in, you know, people from Europe and Asia and South America spending 100,000 a year in tuition and 100,000 a year on housing and buying homes and all this stuff. Just like if you were in 
you know, Cabo San Lucas, you're depending on tourists. Well, we're, you know, in some small part, depending on this international education market yep. and, and this internet and this tourist market, we're getting 70 million tourists a year at the peak season. It was 56 million last year. As that goes up, we, you know, continue to see new things. Uh, the capital of cuisine for certain types of things. So, so it's a, it's, it's a melting pot. It's a confluence of all of those things. Yeah. It's 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 a it's such a fascinating space. But getting back to more so the practitional element of doing real estate there, David, is that I guess that first of all is that one of the things that I do enjoy asking is what do you see agents do wrong trying to break into this market? Oh, well, um, <clears throat> a lot of people have done what I did, who I know you know, get with a great team and then uh, build, build, build yourself slowly through that process. For me, it was five years. Um, that's the only right way. Anything but that's the wrong way. And uh, the reason is that you have to get the education. But what, what that could look like in a lot of cases is, you know, depending on where you're at in life, you're going to be, you know, tricked into thinking that aligning yourself with a brand or a star or a person is going to put money in your pocket. And so you have like Ryan Serhant, he's got his own company and a top, top broker and a friend and a guy I like, Frederick Eklund, top, top team. I mean, these are the top two guys in our market. You know, they're not just stars. They're also the stars of my industry. And I know them personally. And, uh, you know, but these people have big organizations. So I think that when Compass first started, a lot of people went there and they all think that being aligned with a star like Sir Hant, like Eklund, like, you know, Robert Refkin or Leonard Steinberg is going to help them intrinsically, but it's not. Hmm. It's really just like wearing clothes. You're going to look good, but then what are you going to do in those clothes? And so what's important is, is actually understanding the business. What do you do? Who do you help? Why do they hire you? And so for me, my goal is to do 100 transactions this year, 50 of which are for sellers. And those sellers could get advice from me on how to stage the home. We bring fake plants over, faux plants. Uh, you know, that's a big thing. Professional photography, floor plans that look very nice, uh, matter ports, uh, listing videos, and then, and then having the wherewithal to put those listing videos on different platforms, Google platform, you know, meta platform, partnering with outside the box strategies like Harcourt's auctions when it's a good idea, which we often suggest often um, because it's going to create an international exposure, uh, which is really important for certain property types. 45% of privately owned real estate in Manhattan is second homes. And a large chunk of that are uh, people who don't live around here. And a large chunk is people who do live around here. It's actually an interesting uh, data point. So so the, the process of doing, and, and by the way, renovation. Oh, renovation, adding a washer dryer, adding any of these things. That's a whole nother kettle of fish. So being able to give people comfort, navigate that, know what it looks like, negotiate it, all of those things is very complicated. And it's not going to be good enough to have a cute logo or to have a nice email signature you have to get your hands dirty and you have to figure out where you're useful. And then when you, after you're useful, you have to become indispensable. And so if you don't have the opportunity to be useful, then you're not in the right place. And that's hard to say, but if you're not helping anyone, then you're not in the right place. And so the thing that you need to ask yourself is who are you talking to? Are you talking to customers about real estate transactions? Or are you talking to other real estate agents about your Instagram posts? 
I think that that's it's 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 a undervalued outlook that you've just said is become value and valuable and then become indispensable. You know, like I think that one of the things that we can certainly sort of draw a parallel here is that, and and again, this isn't just Manhattan. This is anywhere, right? Is that we remodeled our place in the West Village. And I've never experienced anything like that. We've been involved in flips and all of this different stuff all over the country. And, you know, we're part of a company that does 800 flips a year at one one point. That's why we came to the US and all of these different things. And Manhattan was such a different experience from that perspective. It took longer. There was more to do. And I don't know how you could sort of jump into the real estate industry quickly. And sure, you could probably have a little bit of success early on, but it'd be shallow success because of the volume of learning that has to happen. I recently renovated my pre-war landmarked co-op and added central air and a washer dryer and increased the electrical service. I think that is by far the greatest achievement that I've ever done in my professional life. And I've (laughs) done some big things. It's crazy. I mean, so many stupid plans and people and nonsense but um and it's not perfect i'm not saying like i understand why people don't want to deal with that stuff i get it i'm not saying that's the way it should be mayor adams change it (laughs) but uh but you know the upside is that i will say this when you see these terrible images of natural disasters you at least know that they spent a long time to make sure that these homes are built well because they do make you run through the gamut making sure that you're up to code and you there if it's in manhattan or brooklyn it's up to code yeah it's true have you seen more of a migration to the brooklyn marketplace obviously you've probably got a little bit of an interest in in essentially answering that question but i being living over in brooklyn but i guess that uh, have you seen more people move outside of manhattan have you seen more people moving out of the city out to some more space like some of the other major cities have what are you seeing as a cultural shift well, there's a website called How Money Walks that a lot of us in the community have looked at, and it's um, uh, basically takes census data and showcases how people have moved. And so, unfortunately, in the last 20 years, $8 billion of annualized income has left uh, Manhattan and moved to Brooklyn alone. Another $1 billion has left Manhattan and moved somewhere else. But out of the $9 billion that's left Manhattan, eight of it went to Brooklyn. From Brooklyn, those people tended to move to either Queens or Staten Island. And they're tracking all over. I mean, not Florida, not Texas. Those are the two places. From those places, those people tended to move to places like Connecticut or perhaps Florida or, um, you know, other markets like the Jersey Shore or or the Hudson Valley, uh, nearer areas in terms of demographic patterns. So um, we are seeing... We did see, of course, during COVID, a huge outflow, especially of high income people from Manhattan, and it did impact the local housing market. Uh, we are at a bit of a stalemate now where some people are in a lost position, but they don't want to you know, book the loss, so they won't sell for the price that the market would bear. Uh, but I also think that you see a lot of people coming back from the Zoom towns. I mean, people know a lot about how fancy the Hamptons are, but one thing no one ever says the cell phone reception is awful. And, you know, if you want to run a big business, it's a little hard, yeah. you know, you really are living in the boonies. And and so, if you and if you left if you left Manhattan, like that's why we go there. So here's a good example. We live in Southern California. We live in Newport Beach. Like it, it's it's a great place to live. Oh, a- however, however, Callista and I have made a decision. 
we get so far because her and I, uh, this is going to sound bougie, so forgive me, David. We're foodies, okay? We're, and that's why we love New York to the extent that we love it. The restaurant scene in New York is absolutely, unequivocally the best in the world, right? And and you look at that and and we, we on a weekend, maybe it might be a Saturday night, we're like, hey, let's go out to dinner in Newport Beach. You're like, well, where do we go? And, and like there might be one or two spots and we get constantly frustrated because we like new things. We like to try different things. We like all of that different stuff is that it honestly, we go, we go to New York for that cultural, you know, indulgement and you can't get, like people that would have left Manhattan to then expect that they were going, their needs were going to be serviced from these other areas. It just wouldn't have stimulated in any way, shape or form. That's right. I mean, so, so. You know, and we live in a different time. You know, I think we're doing a Zoom call now. So I don't know. I, I think that as technology was developing over the last 10 years, I happened to meet a guy who worked for Microsoft and he was based out of Seattle, but he lived in New York. And we met in a trip together in Asia. I was in, in uh, Bali. And uh, and so we were on this trip to Bali and it was a tour group and he was on the tour group. We became friends and we're still friends. Hi, hey Adam. Uh, and so uh, now he's in Malibu, but I think about him a lot actually, cause he's sort of, you know, my age and, you know, works for Microsoft, a successful guy. Now he lived in New York for many years. Now he's moved to Malibu recently. Seems like he's having a good time, uh, but he might come back to New York. He might go back to California, but he's probably not going to go certain other places. He's probably not going to go to, I don't know, the Midwest. He might, but he probably won't. He's probably going to be a New York or California guy. And so I think that there are, you know, when you talk about people who work for certain companies, people who went, went to certain colleges, an economy of people, uh, which is a significant, in fact, the highest powered economy of, you know, the people who make the most money and run the country, you know, this is where they live. They live here. Or they live there. They can go from here to there. You know, that's what they do. Yeah, it, it's it's become a it's become a different world from a service perspective. But I think that there's one thing that that obviously is synonymous with the word New York is that the luxury side of the marketplace. We've spoken a little bit about it, but um, you know, you've got homes there that are listed for two hundred and fifty million dollars. You know, I think Ryan Serhan has got that big penthouse that's there on the park as well. You know, you've got homes that you know that are transacting every day between you know that twenty, thirty, forty million dollars. Um, and a lot of it is all cash, David. What the luxury marketplace there? Obviously, it's fueled by a great deal of different business side of things. But if somebody was looking to break into a luxury marketplace and and to to get to that level and get to that stage, like what you have, you do all types of real estate. Um, what would your advice be to them breaking into a luxury price point? You know, that's a question I ask myself every day. And because we're constantly looking to reinvent, you know, what we're doing and uh, luxury price points, you know, when you're talking about north of $10 million, uh, typically speaking, it's not a primary residence, it's going to be one of a few homes that someone owns. Um, and oftentimes, they might spend a lot of time here, you know, I saw Matt Damon recently, he lives in a place he paid $16 million for, and that's their home. Uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt live in that same building. And they take their kids to school and I see them walk their kids to school. Um, so there is both a practical element and also what you might call a luxury element or a numistic element. And I think from the from the the style perspective, you know, people are looking for distinction. 
they're looking for a knowledge of art history, the difference between um, kitsch and avant-garde. These things matter. It's the difference between, you know, fast food and, and gourmet food. You know, it's, it's, it's what makes it more valuable. So knowing, knowing the details of herringbone floors, wide plank oak floors, uh, you know, what's the difference? You know, maybe quartz is a good material in a luxury space because in certain spaces it's more durable. Um, even in, you know, it's a $20 million place. Uh, knowing what casement windows are, knowing the language of luxury is part of luxury. And so, you know, I didn't always know that an emerald was a diamond. I now know that it's an emerald diamond, but I thought it was two different things. I, you know? I, so, I, I had no idea as well. So uh, thanks. Well, when I went to buy an emerald ring, I found that out. So, uh, so, so, you know, the language of luxury is something you can learn. You can, you can, you can learn high fashion. Not everyone knows everything about all of these things. And you know me, I'm more of a sports guy. I don't really know every single fashion designer or artist. I know some, but you know, that's part of it too. You know, Kevin Durant owns a place here. You know, Ben Simmons owns a place here. You know, these guys are doing stuff and what do they like? You know, they want the same creature comforts that people want. So you could see how luxury is going to be obsolete if it's too stylized. We have this 56 Leonard right here. It's called the Jenga building. Um, really cool place. So knowing architects like Bjark Engels or, you know, these other famous star architects, um, uh, Sir David Ajay, who did David Williams. So getting into the luxury market is a specific skill, just like getting into gourmet cooking. You need to learn who the chefs are. You need to learn what the ingredients are. Same thing with the luxury business here. You have to know who the developers are, the products, why they're great and what's great about them. I think that's a wonderful answer, you know, learning the language of luxury in order to get into that marketplace. David, I, I'd like to thank you for being on Rethink Real Estate. It's been an absolute pleasure, you know, talking about New York. It's one of my favorite topics out there. Um, first of all, also, thank you for your support and giving us an opportunity to do auctions in Manhattan. You guys were our first and gave us a chance to break into the marketplace a little and still continue to support us. So again, thank you for all you do, but also thank you for sharing your time with us today. You are welcome. And I owe you and Callista a drink and a bite. And now that I um, realize you'll be back here soon, I'm going to set that up. Let's do it. Wonderful. Thanks, David. Thank you, Ben. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.